Welcome to another episode of Creative Mind, and I'm your host, Bobby Brill, and in this episode, we sit down with one of the elder statesmen of illustration, Chuck Pyle. And Chuck really is one of the most intriguing, fun to listen to, fun to talk to artists you will come across. And Chuck's been doing this, I hate saying it, forever. And in this episode, we spend a lot of time talking about how you work as an artist. You can learn the skills, you can learn the trade. However, you gotta get paid and you gotta get paid regularly and what that means and how you build your business. And that's part of something that Chuck at the School of Illustration and a lot of other departments at the Academy really focus on. So if you're listening with intent on this episode, please grab a pen and paper, jot down some notes because there's some great stuff here. If you're just listening to hear two people talk about Great art, great illustration. You'll enjoy it. Chuck has stories to tell for eons. So Chuck Pyle, master illustrator. All right. So here we are, Mr. Chuck Pyle. Well, hello, Bobby. So tell me the horrible, easy question. Why did you want to become an artist? I didn't have a choice. I, and I think if you talk to most students in art school and most of us who have had careers in the arts, we really didn't have a choice. You, you knew from a very early age on that you got called. And well, how, how does that, you know, early age, what are you doing? Are you sitting there and just throwing your toy soldiers away and drawing pictures of them? What, what does that mean for mm, you? It means that I would rather sit there with a box of crayons and paper and draw things out of my head or from whatever was around me, tell stories with whatever I had, entertain myself, um, from a very early age, and it was what um, it was what gave me an identity in in school. It was what got me positive feedback. It was what made me genuinely internally happy, and um, and so one thing leads to the next, and very soon you realize, oh, there's an inevitability to this that. Um, I am not going to be able to step in front of and, you know, get away from. And so now what are you going to do about it? You know, and uh, I like to eat. So, you know, that led that made some other choices happen. <laughs> and uh, some people that I admired, um, um, there were some illustrators that I, I knew of and political cartoonists in particular um, that I really admired in my limited uh, aesthetic exposure where I grew up. And I admired what they did. I admired the influence they had, and I resonated with the message that they put in their artwork. So it sort of drove where I was going to go with my um, life after I got out of art school. So where did you grow up? Because you're saying you, know, you grew up that hmm. wasn't someplace that had a lot of culture. I, or? I grew up in Bakersfield. Okay, Which so the is, answer is no, there's the no culture is, in Bakersfield. Well, Bakersfieldians might argue that <laughs> point, but from a, from, at a as a little kid, it, it's, it's a beautiful place to be. If the muse is speaking to you, it's, it was not at that time a place where there, you could look outside of yourself and find those influences. There weren't art museums, there weren't galleries, there weren't uh, art classes that you could take outside really? of uh, a high school art class um, that really fed you. And it, it just because it wasn't, it wasn't valued. And I, I think... Um, I, I, Unless you're lucky and you're in New York and you go to high school for the arts or similar schools, um, the for a lot of us, 
there is uh, an emptiness there that, you know, you, until you actually go to someplace like art school, you have a hard time finding out where you fit because those 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 muses aren't the other muses aren't there to back up the one that's telling you hey you really need to do something with this so uh why why bakersfield was it uh, my dad was working for an oil company okay. and that was where i grew up okay so yeah okay. that makes sense i know bakersfield that's it's 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 oil and country music <laughs> and sure. cotton and, and cotton, right. cantaloupes and uh, fruit and you know so it it was up until about the age of twelve a really great place to grow up, and then you realize there's a wider world out there and and you um, urgently want to chew your arm off and escape. <laughs> no offense. That's <laughs> no, okay. Yeah. I lived in Bakersfield for a very short time, okay. and so uh, you know. I've driven through it many yeah. many times, and and yeah. You, I. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's Bakersfield. Right. Um, so what were you drawing at that early age? What was what was the escape? What, what, um, what did Bakersfield trains, not deliver? ships, people, cartoon characters, um, whatever, whatever, whatever my friends asked for me to draw. Um, I would draw whatever they asked and they would, if they liked it, I got you know, praise for it. Um, I, you know, the elementary school art classes. I remember having a tempera paint and yeah, those, you know, those little cardboard milk cartons and yeah. you throw stuff on there and paint murals for the teacher, kind of suck up to the teachers. Um, so, uh, it, yeah, it, um, ironically inside that envelope, as much fun as it was, I knew, I knew there was something that separated me out from everybody else and it made me both distinct from and kind of special, and um, I, I wasn't slightly weird. Sli no, not, <laughs> e not even slightly. Um, but it was it, it, there wasn't a path out of there that I could see past high school that meant that um, I might I might actually have a life practicing that. You know, the UC system. If you went to Cal, you were going to become an abstract painter or a sculptor or a printmaker. If you went to Davis, you had maybe, if you were really lucky, you had guys like Wayne Tebow and Robert Wiley to mentor you some, but it was strictly a fine art uh, approach. Right. And like, what is it? Was it Cal State Long Beach back then was the big photography school? Yeah, it, it might have been. You know, I, I, my, my, my parents looked um, my, when they realized that this was. Um, not going the, away? Not going away. Um, they did look into... So they introduced me to the one illustrator commercial artist in Bakersfield, and I went into his studio, and he had been faux finishing wood texture grain, wood grain on cabin doors. And so, Okay. So the illustrator, the yeah, quote-unquote illustrator, right. was the... Somehow this guy ended up in Bakersfield, and to make ends meet, he was painting faux wood grain on on hollow core doors for somebody's cabin up in the Tehachapi's. Did, 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 they, tr did they truck you in like, look at this poor sap? Or, um, or that, was it more of a, hey, um, it was, he draws? It was a little of both. I, I saw some very, actually very nice, what I thought were very nice at the time, renderings of um, semi-clad women from National Geographic and Conte Cran. The same reason many of us become mm, photographers. Indeed. Um, and many of us become artists, um, but it it didn't. There, again, there wasn't a real connection to a career. It, it was actually sort of depressing, and I, I was, you know, the romantic notion of a, of a life in a garret with one ear and 
and drinking absinthe. Well, it, it has only a certain amount of charm, if you, uh, especially when winter comes. And um, so it was, there was a need to figure it out. Okay. And I, fortunately, um, when my, my parents got transferred up here to Northern California while I was a high school junior, um, I graduated early and went to a junior college, met a cartoonist there who saw something in me that many other people did not. And after he got done calling the cops, I mean, um, <laughs> after, after he, you know, he and his wife mentored me and gave me some um, little freelance work in their studio, helping them uh, mostly doing sort of primitive paste-up things. Um, and he said, you know, you should go see the Academy of Art College in San Francisco. And, um, and that's back, what, early 70s? That would be 70s? 71 or 72, okay. so maybe 71 because I started in 72, and then I went in, and I thought that I was going to um, uh, pack my Volkswagen, my 1955 Volkswagen oh. with a giant Hamilton drawing board and drive cross-country to go do something <laughs> back east, and then I, I showed up, and um, the registrar walked me into a drawing studio, and there were all these people staring at a naked model, and uh, and what they were producing seemed to be absolutely transcendently magical. Oh wow! And I just stood there, and it was like the light of heaven suddenly burst through the ceiling of the room and hit me square in the head. And I thought, oh, this is what I need to do. And I had no idea what it was other than being in the studio with those people trying to learn to be as good as they were. And so who were some of those people? Was it other was kids the, your age or would it, it was, be? I, you know, I was so stunned at that point. I was, what, 19 maybe. Um, and I, I, to this day, I, I can still see walking into that classroom. I can see the pink of the model on the stand. I can see the shadowy backs and silhouettes of the people drawing. I can see some of the drawings that they had. And... Uh, past that, I don't remember very much. And it was just like the shock of it to realize that that was a possible path. And then I met Barbara Bradley, who was the department chair for the illustration school. And she closed the deal by saying, you know, I, I told her, well, I want to be a political cartoonist. And Barbara didn't have much of an opinion of that as a craft. <laughs> she said, well, try illustration. You might like it. And my career having chose to go to the academy when I did, uh, under the circumstances that I did, um, the whole political cartooning thing got put on a shelf and, um, and I became an illustrator, you know, under the tutelage of a very small cadre of really passionate Bay Area illustrators. And Barbara had been a big time New York um, illustrator in the early 50s. She was one of the two female illustrators at Cooper Studios in 1950. Oh, and wow, that was a major yeah. deal. Um, it, it was a very competitive, and you know, you've got guys like Kobe Whitmore down the hall, and uh, I, I wouldn't have been fit to bring the guy coffee, and here Barbara was painting right next door to him and, and doing bang-up work, and uh, she and her husband moved out to the West Coast from there, and to because uh, he was an art director, and he uh, went to work in one of the big agencies here in town, so obviously they moved because Barbara could freelance. And uh, one thing led to the next, and then Dick Stevens said, hey, Barbara, would you like to come teach for us? And, and that was in 1959, and she taught for another 50 years. 
Oh man, and these are—I mean, these are—you had the 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 rare opportunity. Well, many of the students now have this opportunity, but you at the time, the icons of that age mm -hmm. of illustration and design, yeah. when it was kind of just becoming. This is kind of that post Mad Men era that we 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 know a little bit about from TV. But uh, it was the tail end of that. This is when illustration season. is <laughs> when illustration is still yeah how work is done. I mean, yes. illustration is not an afterthought. It's like, yeah, we need to hire right. an illustrator. No, you're going to be in there working. Yes. Um, and the, there was a completely different world because it was a regional market. There was no FedEx. There wasn't, you know, Univacs were what you use for computers. And um, so it was a regional market and there were regional advertising agencies. There were regional illustrators and photographers and art directors and copywriters and um, service houses. So, so the whole thing was very insular. And um, I was able to get my career launched in San Francisco in the cocoon of uh, being a local illustrator. And then a few years in, um, FedEx happened. And that that's one of those things that every artist confronts. Um, change is, is uh, relentless, unexpected, uh, complicated. Unwanted. Unwanted, yes, uh, I would say. And, and at the same time, it is a great opportunity if you embrace it. So if, you have, if you're trained well enough, you adapt to change when it happens. You adapt when you want to and you adapt when you need to. And every professional artist sees that cycle happen over and over again in their own lives and in the lives of their friends. So Federal Express um, made, made it possible for an art director in San Francisco to hire someone in New York and vice versa. And it uh, made the career path that I chose to go down quite possible because I, I was going in a much different direction for the first two or three years out of school. Because I, mean, I mean, before FedEx, I mean, it was you were literally walking over a board. Oh, heck yeah. To yeah. the to the to where they're going to shoot it, uh -huh. and yep. hope everything is dry enough. Yep, pretty much. You can do it. Yeah, it, it, you know, I you, you occasionally find them in junkyards, but photostat cameras were, mm. you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> these giant contraptions, and they would slap your uh, illustration underneath one of these things and take a photograph of it through a screen and all this mechanical stuff to bring it to life. I used I did production art for a while where I was cutting ruby lith windows for layouts and oh trying to get my career launched and the bills paid and keep them paid. And um, but I found out that if I made ten phone calls um, on average, I would get a job out of that. It was a terrifying experience to actually have to get the names of art directors, call them on Monday, make appointments with them on the phone, take my portfolio down to them with knocking knees, and show them my work. And if you were really lucky, the guy would lean out the corner of his office door and shout, hey, Bob, you got to see this guy. Come on down here. You're looking for... And, and you walk out with a gig. And not that's much, not much of, has changed, though. Not much has changed. It's, it's, it's different as, and it's the same. Um, I but, mean, you got to email it now. Yeah, yes. But uh, yeah, right. that, that hat in hand. Yeah. Please, please, please look at my stuff. Please, yeah. please tell me I'm good. Yeah, well, th th which is very true. I mean, all the great illustrators at the beginning of their careers um, all went through the same sort of knock-kneed terrifying experience of going in front of art buyers of one form or the other and showing them their wares and hoping that eventually one door will open that leads to another open door and that that's sort of how that part hasn't changed um, that one opportunity that you get and you say yes to 
uh, which is so crucial, you then find that it leads into an unexpected second door down the hall or around the corner, and that leads to two more open doors, and the next thing you know, you're at three in the morning working away steadily um, until you aren't. And that's part, that is part of the freelance life. Um, and really successful artists don't forget that because you want to say yes to every chance you can take. And you also realize that there will come a day again and again and again when the work stops and you have to just like everybody else go out there hat in hand, as you said, and get it in front of people again and reinvent yourself. I mean, you get bored, the market gets bored with you and the skill set you got taught in art school and all the friends you make out there and the aesthetic influences you have after art school, you have to keep looking and growing and shifting so that you don't get stale and that you stay excited about what you do and that frankly people stay excited about you because overexposure in this world uh, means that at a certain point you're on top of everything and then two years later you're like, what happened? What am I? What yeah. you, I don't even like this anymore. Right, why, yeah. am I, why am I drawing this style? It, it, well, there is a lot of truth to that. And um, illustrators constantly change. And, and then you find a signature style, which, which will shape and reshape itself as you go on over your life. But um, for a lot of illustrators, once they arrive at that point, you can sort of watch this 10 or 15 year climb plateau and then this sort of strange, irregular stair-stepping down that doesn't ever end necessarily, but you find that the caliber of clients you have is not the same as you had at your peak, and the frequency of commissions also shift. And then you have to look at what you're doing and figure out how you can refresh it again. So it happens going up, it happens going sideways, and it happens going down. So easy, easy peasy, twenty-five oh, yeah. year career. <laughs> Bing. Yep. So <laughs> yeah. But I, so, I, I, so going I, back, um, out of you know, you come, you're coming out of school. You go, you're coming out of high school. Mm -hmm. You're going into uh, what is the 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 beginnings, the 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 primordial ooze of the mm -hmm. academy when it was the art college and mm -hmm. and really. Um, kind of getting on its feet or, or established, but not what it is today where it's this biggest school in the country. Yeah, um, it was one building. Okay. And uh, it was, and each department had a chunk of a floor in the building and the executive office was next to the dark rooms at the top of the building <laughs> up under the mansard roof. I mean, it was really, it, it was quite, it, the nice thing about that school is that it was incredibly intimate. The bad thing about that school, it was incredibly intimate. So your soft people skills had to be really good to survive four years there. And your art skills had to get really good. Um, and everybody was aspiring to that. So, so what, what, was, what would you say was your, your style at the time? Hmm. Or maybe not necessarily your style, but you know, I know when you're in school, you don't have a style. It takes a while, as you said, to kind of develop a style because in yeah. school, everybody's, you know, we're all copying off of somebody. We're all, mm -hmm. there's already, I want to be like this person, so I'm going to try and draw like this person because that's the person I've copied or emulated mm -hmm. the most. How in school do you start figuring mm. it out what it is, is your style or what you like doing? Um, that's, a, that's, as someone who teaches here, um, I have to say, it, in the um, trends come and go. Students all come in with pretty much the same aesthetic background that they got from what they read or played or watched when they were kids. 
And then the question is, how much can we as faculty and encourage students to find other influences outside of what they came through the door with okay. and, um, and pry gently that uh, the, the focus of that, um, to open that aperture up enough so that a lot of new stuff can fall in. And some students don't ever um, actually achieve that, and they go in doing one thing, and they leave doing what that is at a much more sophisticated level. And some students completely reinvent themselves, and, um, and some students become uh, carbon copies of other illustrators who are out in front of them, which is... But is that, is that a bad thing, or...? It is not in the short run, um, okay. but in the long haul, over the long haul, the, the ideal... I mean, I was just back in New York, and I was at the Society of Illustrators, which is the, the, it's rather like being the country priest, priest going <laughs> to the Vatican. You know, this is the holy of holy structures, and the best of illustration and illustrators have been there since 1903. And the show that was there, the Illustrator 62 show, um, was a riot of styles and approaches. Um, much of it was digital. A fair amount of it was pencil, watercolor, and gouache combined. Oh, wow. still? Some of, still. Okay. Um, some of much of it was mixed media, where a little bit of it was done with a brush or a pencil, and a little bit of it was done in Photoshop. Some of it was animated, so essentially, essentially GIFs um, or a more sophisticated version thereof. Um, so illustration can move, uh, it can be designy, it can be painterly, it can be loose, it can be tight. Um, and for all artists, you sort of are, have to. Uh, listen to your heart a little bit because there are things that will excite you as an artist in a way that's different from the person who's sitting next to you. So what was that for you? What what did you see or was there a particular style or, or artist that you looked at and went, oh boy, that's, that's what um, I'm feeling. So I went out of here doing uh, I, I, actually when I left school I, I left um, um, with a soupçon of bad imitations of my teachers. And, um, and there was not a political cartoon market in San Francisco, I thought. Um, but I was, but I... Why, why uh, political cartoons? What was the... Because that was what, was what the... I went to school for. You know, that's what got okay. me in the door. But I want... why, why, why that first? Um, because when I was, uh, before I went to art school, I wanted to be the next Pat Oliphant. And I wanted to be the next Herb Block, and I wanted to be the next Thomas Nast and bring down corrupt governments. And, you know, that I was an angry young man. Um, well, that's, that's, that's yeah, good, that's good you know, drive. Yeah, it's good drive. <laughs> uh, doesn't, doesn't put food on your table. And then, but Barbara Bradley and the other teachers kept showing me, look, here are all these other great artists who did this and other things or didn't do that and did all these other amazing things. And the consciousness that being an illustrator a professional artist who sells storytelling and ideas in pictures to various publications can literally change how the world sees itself. Okay. And that opening up allowed me then to appreciate both contemporary illustrators and old dead guy illustrators. Um, and it, it kind of gelled a few years after I left. And I did one painting of one of my former teachers as Uncle Sam in the style of Norman Rockwell. Okay. And my career made a hard left turn uh, and went 20, 25 years down the road um, 
pretty much doing that. Well, so I'm sure if they were, if we were to ask them, they saw you as the angry young man with the political cartoons and went, how can we channel this into beautiful, paying, angry man cartoons? Um, yeah. <laughs> that, that illustrative style. I, I, I think there's some truth to that. And I think they were looking at it through the lens of their experience. They were all very successful advertising illustrators. Some of them had been editorial and, you know, were illustrators who had been in the Post and, um, and a bunch of other magazines, uh, McCall's, um, the women's magazines, uh, Sunset out here on this coast. Um, I, guess people, I mean, people forget their photography was outrageously expensive. Yep. So everything was Everything was, was illustrated. Everything was an illustration. At one point. And, uh, and there was still a, a lot of work. I mean, you, if you could work for the ad agencies in San Francisco, you could have a very comfortable life um, up in the hills of Contra Costa County and, <laughs> you know, commute in and, and be a great freelancer. And, um, and so they were trying to share with me what, was, what made their artistic lives be successful. Okay. The, and po the possibility the of possibility a real working yeah. artist. And, and that's, that's a, a good art school does that to you. A good art school says, hey, kid, you have this gift. Look what all the things are that you can do with it. Now we're going to teach you how to do certain things with that gift to make it be better at communicating ideas and compositions and technique and all the other the business practices of things. But you're still that artist, and what we're doing is we're just sort of adding things onto it to make who you are come out better and be seen better by the people that have money to spend on you as an artist. And so they were grafting these things onto me, and as a consequence, um, I, I, I developed a deep and abiding love for the master illustrators of the 20th century. I used to even teach history of illustration here at the school, um, and I have a it's um, there was a San Francisco columnist named Herb Cain, and I always admired his work because he always seemed to be walking into the future looking backwards. I mean, he was celebrating San, old San Francisco right there with new as though the 1940 San Francisco was side by side with whatever was happening in the 70s and the 80s. And that was who I became as I realized more of my potential as an illustrator. I, I like telling stories. I like doing costume dramas, bringing people back to life from the 1920s and 30s and 40s and 50s and, and doing narrative stuff that conveyed a scene, an idea, a mood, and, and with models and props and I have a costume closet down in the basement of my house that will probably go to the Smithsonian <laughs> oh, wow. after I die. I mean, yeah. it's just it's just one of those things where and and the as an illustrator, one of the things that happens is you get some recognition for doing something, and one job leads to another job, and you may have two or three different approaches to doing things, but the market will start to gravitate towards something and reinforce something at the expense of other things. And um, for me, it ended up being a, an oil painter, illustrator on board or canvas for a very long time. And so that's interesting because that, I mean, that, <clears throat> I mean, that, that's interesting in that, you know, from what it sounds like you're saying, and I, I've seen this in, in some of the work I've done and I've mm -hmm. seen it with other people that I've mm -hmm. grown up with and, and people I've followed. It seems like that there's, here's what I want to do laid out in front of me. Yep. Here's my choices. And then... At the most base, here's what I'm going to pay you to do. Yeah. And oftentimes it's the opposite or something very different. Mm -hmm. um, what someone's going to pay you for versus what you want to do that it starts to, would you say, happily influence your style? 
Um, in my case, yes. Okay. Um, in a lot of cases, it's a compromise. I mean, it's always a compromise. You know, the thing is, um, if you're a professional artist, you don't do these things in a vacuum. You do them in concert with the needs of your client. And that's one of the things, the, probably the biggest, mo single most important lesson that I got from going here was you're a pro. Pros work with other pros mm. in order to make something greater than any one of them can do on their own. I mean, if you've ever seen an art director try and draw, you know why they hire me. <laughs> and they would freely admit that that's why they go to an illustrator or a photographer because they don't have the skill or the time to be that good at it. And whatever they're working on needs to be that good. So um, some illustrators are very, very driven about who they are and the purpose of their art and will literally create the market for themselves regardless of what the feedback from the market is in the moment. And some illustrators are, are more temperate and are willing or able to be more influenced by the marketplace and, and what it gives them and the reinforcement of somebody saying, boy, here's $3,000. Um, and, you know, you, you kind of listen to that. Um, <laughs> and, 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 you, and you do great things. I mean, you, it's, it's, you're always wrestling inside the parameters of a box. And as an illustrator, the box, the ex external edges of the box are imposed by the client's needs. When I walk into my studio and I want to be a fine art painter, I make the borders of the box. I decide what it is I want to paint. I decide how it is I want to paint. And I explore until I get there. As an illustrator, I walk in and my email is now inbox, has something in it. I say yes. They send me a layout. And <clears throat> we have a discussion about the content of the layout. And then I have to innovate and improvise my way through that to make something really compelling with client input along the way so that something really remarkable shows up in an app or on a printing press. And that's that, that key distinction between going into your studio as a fine artist versus being a professional illustrator, they're equally, they're equally valuable paths. And you can't really be a good illustrator if you don't have a lot of that fine art spirit in you, but um, it's, uh, they're they're divergent in in terms of who is um, who is setting the limits on what you want to do. Now that's the nicest explanation I've ever heard <clears throat> of the difference between a fine artist and an illustrator, hmm. because it does seem and correct me if I'm wrong that I don't want to say the word animosity, but it does seem like there's fine artists and there's illustrators and there's kind of a love-hate or hate-hate interaction mm -hmm. between the two where, no, 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 I'm a, I'm a fine artist. Yes. No, no, no. Oh, you're you're a guy who found a Loomis book and, mm. and you draw circles and, and rhombuses. Oh, I've been outed. Oh, Loomis book. Oh, God. <laughs> um, all three of them, all four of them, all five. Uh, well, yeah, there is. I mean, there can be. Um, and uh, some of that goes back to uh, the 1930s and the bifurcation in American art um, based on what came over from France. And, and in fact, you could take it all the way back to the early teens. I mean, if you look at uh, the futurists and uh, the Italian supremacists and the, the Brancusi sculptures and the armory show in 19, I want to say 14, 
13. Um, and which had a lot of San Francisco illustrators in it, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. um, but there was this art for art's sake uh, thing, and art as a non-objective experience. It was more about emotion and experience and mark making, and it just increasingly got driven down that path. And after the war, when the art center tilted from Paris to New York, and folks like uh, Klee and Jackson Pollock and de Kooning all divorced themselves from the need to, and in fact, actively divorced themselves from the idea of making a picture have readable content. Mm -hmm. That was one illustration and fine art split. And, and ironically, for many decades in the United States, if you wanted to learn how to draw, you went to illustration school because that's where the remaining teachers who understood perspective and anatomy and form and you know color theory that's where they ended up being because those, those infamous back of the matchbook back of the matchbook can, can you draw this turtle yes. and this pirate head yeah you could be an artist too you can be um and in fact the guys that ran that school that founded that school were people like norman rockwell and Albert that, was, that was a real school yeah Oh, really? oh heck yeah! It was it was it was art school by mail, and they would critique your work by mail. I have friends that took classes from them. Oh my them, gosh! Um, long after the Dorns and the Rockwells had left, but <laughs> uh, but but it was it was the repository of those more traditional uh, painterly skill sets. And one of the nice things I, I have to say about the academy is uh, both Bill Mon and Craig Nelson come from a strong illustration background and can draw and paint with the best of them. And so the fine art program was. Is the the byproduct of the of the philosophy that you can and should be able to draw and create spatial depth and use color and brushwork to put something over visually and should you wish to move beyond that into abstraction, you have you have that skill set along with you to utilize when you want to. So that yeah, there's much more of a figurative. Mm -hmm path yeah. in the fine art department here. here here right and 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 so you know you have to choose which path you resonates with you and i have a lot of friends who have had gone down the atelier path as for training as artists which goes back to bougereau and the uh, the whole 19th century french academic tradition that's for for the non-artist that's <laughs> a picture hanging in a gallery and cheese plates and, and wine and yeah. a large price tag. Right, a large price tag and oftentimes naked people or, or people clothed in Grecian gowns. Um, but it, you would think that if you looked at it, they might blink because they're that finely painted and, and sculpted into the canvas that that illusion is there. You can't do that as an illustrator um, on that scale because you just simply don't have time on a deadline to do it. But there are there are workarounds for that. So in a way, the 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 split has was probably more intense earlier than it is now because there is a, a renaissance of figurative work in the fine art world in the United States. It hasn't really hit the museum culture yet. Um, but it, it is very much around them, and there are a lot of exceptional practitioners of painting and figure drawing and landscape painting um, that are extraordinary draftspeople. Well, and, and, and like you said, your work, I mean, you're working with paints yeah, for the most part. I am. You're working in oil and, and acrylics or oil and gouache? I work in oil. I work in acrylic. Um, I work in gouache. I work in watercolor. I work because I can, because I can draw. I tailor. I 
Prismacolor pencil over watercolor. I'm pen and ink and watercolor. You know, it, it just it depends. It, 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 it's you're an artist. Yeah. Which I yeah. know that's always a hard thing. I think for yeah. for people who are supporting an artist or supporting mm -hmm. somebody going into art school, where they look at something. You know, you go into a museum, and I mean, I remember going into a museum when I was a kid and older, and it was like I I, I don't get it. Yeah. And then as I got interested, it's like, well, now oh. I get de Kooning. Yep. Yeah. Now and, I yes. get. You know, all of, I, you, know, you, you know, you look at outsider art and you go, well, now I can talk about right. this. Now I understand yeah. this. Now you can look at, I remember uh, recently in Barcelona, uh, in Barcelona, one of, they've got a Picasso's old residence and mm -hmm. they had a, uh, yep. a uh, exhibition and it was 25 versions of one painting he had done <laughs> over time. Yes. And, you know, the person who graduated from art school looks and goes, oh, I can see his progression. I can see he was having a bad day that day. I could see he was like, oh, I got to 24, 25 would be pretty cool. Mm -hmm. You know, all of the things that are going through your head. And then I'm there with other people who are not trained artists like myself. Yeah. Like, I <laughs> don't. Why are we here? Yeah. We waited in line for two hours for this. Yeah. Can we go now? Yes. And I think there's, it's, it's, there's that, what, what is that, that light switch or that aha moment? I hate saying that, but that mm -hmm. aha moment where a student just kind of goes, oh, aha, I get it. Um, you know, it's, it's, I, I watched that, I, I watched that switch flip at very, at different intervals, uh, different points in people's careers here. It is probably the most rewarding thing to behold and know that as a teacher, I had some small hand in getting them to the point where they, and it has to be their own switch, they have to be the one to find it and flip it, make that realization. And up to that point, you're showing, sharing, cajoling, occasionally arguing with, um, shaping, providing guidance. <laughs> and then That and th finger on the that, book going, please look at this picture right here. Please, 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 for God's sake, look at this picture. Yeah, absolutely. But at a certain point, it comes from within. And when that happens, then you'd best step sideways and get out of the way because they become something that sprints out the door. And it happens oftentimes in your end of your junior year or your early senior year, and sometimes it happens a couple of years after you leave. Um, but the, it's, um, it's the joy of social media because I get to track my, my alums and I get to watch that happen over and over and I get to watch it happen for the first time. And sometimes it happens in my classroom and sometimes I get to celebrate it after they've left. And that is, that is what, Really, that at its core, that's why you teach. That's why you teach what you know and you love. So, so for you, what was then? What were some of those early, the early, those early freelance jobs you had as you oh, were boy. graduating? What would be some of the things that you know you could point at? Going, oh, I remember doing that, or ooh, I had to do a lot of those, mm -hmm. a lot of those wonderful drawings of apples or something like that. Um, you know, I wasn't good at product. Um, I did a lot of spot art. I did storyboards. Um, I did magazine interiors. Um, I when I when I when when lightning finally struck, it was with um, Gemco Courier, and that's when it happened. Um, they were it was a monthly publication that promoted Gemco Stores products. But for they, anyone listening who is. 
70. <laughs> I, re- I remember Jemco. Yeah. I remember Jemco. I have an yeah. interesting story about Jemco. That's where I first, that was the first time I ever saw a Playboy. Ah. It was at a Jemco store. And so that's probably why I wanted to become a photographer. Um, um, yes. I don't have to cut that out because that when you go out on the UK, we'll cut that. But yes, I remember yeah. Jemco. It's like a yeah. Walmart. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Up would stay. It was a department, uh, yeah. when a department store existed. It right. was it, literally everything yeah. under one roof. And the art director was someone who um, fancied himself to be the next art director of the Saturday Evening Post. And he was a brilliant art oh, director. Wow. He gave us a lot of rope to you know, go, hang ourselves with every month. And um, we didn't have to put products in. We didn't have to. Uh, it was it was the twelve months of the year, and they were seasonal. Um, and you were just there to tell family stories on their cover, and it made they, they were a joy to work for. And so, so that, that's kind of an interesting shift, though. I mean, you you really got lucky that you mm-hmm. were coming from school, coming wanting to be you know learning to do fine art, yeah. seeing people drawing human figures, figurative mm-hmm. work. Upon graduation, you're going to do illustration, which could be anything to, you know, you got to do, everyone has their time in the trenches. Yep. You know, you got to do the boring stuff, like you said, spot art, you know, spot art, explain spot art. Um, it's little things that occupy a it's third or a quarter page of okay. a, some sort of publication. Yeah. And so, yeah. somebody's got to make it. Somebody's got to make it. Now you, you know, what most people would think is, you know, I'm working in a catalog and uh, boring to you're going to be drawing you have you can draw anything at this point or is that if you idea? that is the idea i would and i and for a long time i um you just have to figure out a way to say yes and 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 because you've got rent to pay you've got a reputation to build um you want to explore and you never know the art director hopefully will call you back for something more glorious down the road um, but with, with the, the Jumco story, um, it, it created a body of work that would not have been possible to create except under the deadline and getting paid to do it. And it established a style that was nationally recognized that then led to getting an agent in New York. And um, one thing led to the next. And that was where my, my I went down this path for a very long time. And it was uh, props to my uh, then roommate, Randy Barrett. We were both freelancers getting our careers established, and Randy couldn't take on the other assignment for Jemco, and I had just done this oil painting sample, and he prevailed on the art director and said, hey, you know, my buddy can do this. Here's him. And I had to send him a transparency <laughs> uh, of <laughs> the work. That's he took a camera. Right. And, and slide film. Slide film. And <laughs> you, had to develop it. Right. And had to put it in the mail. Yep. And, <laughs> and 17 years later, it showed yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Pony Express. Um, and they, they took a chance on me. And it worked. And I joined a, 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 a bunch of other illustrators, including our fine art chair, Craig Nelson, who used to do covers for them. And they were it, 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 built, it built the career I had for a very long time. So explain that. Explain the career, mm. or at least you know, daily life uh, is difficult. But mm. but what's what's a week in a freelancer's life work? Because I mean, Ooh. some people just don't you know never get the concept of, of freelance. I okay. mean, I don't even. Yeah, I, the, I mean, I've I've worked freelance most of my life, and, right. and some people just look. It, you're just like you either get it, like yep. I work freelance. Like, yeah, it's like yeah, we're freelance. I'm 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 a, right. I'm a pirate on shore leave when I'm getting paid, and I'm mm-hmm. you know shaking out the cushions looking for pennies. Yeah. when I need gas money. Yeah, I've been there, done that. Um, and uh, so you're self-employed, 
um, you are someone who manages your own hours, and you have to be very cognizant of how long it takes you to do something. You will learn that. Um, that you, seems like the, that's the hardest thing. I think that's one of the hardest things to get down. Um, and you uh, realize that, as one of my teachers said, nothing short of a death in the family of perhaps your wife or child um, get, keeps a, a freelancer from delivering on time. And those, you know, those were words that we all lived by and still do um, because your client has a hole in something that you have contracted to fill at a certain date and time. And so you build a practice that has overlapping jobs so that you're at one stage on one job and you're working on another stage on another job and you have overlapping billings that that the checks should hopefully show up in a certain time frame and and cover you and you build a cash cushion so that when the checks don't show up on time you don't have to search the cushions too much for for gas money um, and you learn how to market yourself and how to price things and and that's what a good art school does on the business side actually it's it's one of those things where okay b being creative is fabulous but if you don't have a sense of what your time is worth and if you don't have a sense of what the market wants to pay for what you do, um, if you don't have a sense of how to get a hold of people so that they know you exist, then you will really be a barista for a very long time with a huge overhead. And and that's not something I would want to wish on anyone. But um, so the business of being a freelancer, I mean, it's like you own your own shop and you are it. And some illustrators have assistants but you learn how to market and budget time and money and and craft and um and your own personal expectations i would imagine where if you're you know you're you know if you're illustrating um a piece and you said i'll deliver it tomorrow mm -hmm. that's 24 hours and yep. you know it takes 26 to do what you want to do um then, how is that how do you reconcile that you find out how to do it in 23. <laughs> I mean, quite literally, um, because you've, you've made a commitment and it is something that sometimes you can renegotiate a deadline, but you shouldn't. You all, always have to live on the assumption that you can and that it's an absolute. And you learn through trial and error how to make it happen and how to make it happen, hopefully, at the most high and professional level humanly possible so that no one notices where you make a shortcut if you have to. And um, Are those shortcuts or are those learning to be efficient? A little of both. A little of both? A little, yeah. few it, cheats? A right. few? Okay. Mm -hmm. what, what are some of the cheats? Huh. Well, I would have to uh, <laughs> hurt you if I told you so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, learning how to get by with no sleep is probably the first, that's, the that's first thing. That's number one? That's, that's number one. And... Um, uh, that, that bit of time management, I, every illustrator has all sorts of little uh, rituals that they go through to get them from putting down the phone or turning away from the computer screen and going, oh, oh, geez, now I really got to do this. <laughs> and then starting to get through that process. And if you're working editorial for the Times and the New York Times, uh, for example, I mean, you may have literally half a day to turn around a piece and have it in their inbox electronically done because there's breaking news and some illustrators right. can do that and some illustrators can't and you find out very quickly if you're one of those um, some illustrators do uh, children's books where you have six months to do a book and 
you have 32 pages of art that you have to create and that has to go before review committees at various stages and get approved and comes back for changes. In the meantime, you've got another book or two that you're working on simultaneously and with that. book you never get paid until it publishes, so two years later. Yeah, well, you get an advance You get an advance on royalty with kids' books. So, um, And if they, if they aren't willing to do that, then you need to run in the opposite direction really quickly. But... Um, as an illustrator, if you're not doing children's books, if you're doing something for a magazine or an ad, yeah, you're right. And, it, and once all the ads have been sold and the money's coming in the door, then you are in the queue with everybody else to get paid. Um, and, you know, you, you learn to deal with it. I, I always knew that uh, if it came out of New York, 90 to 120 days out, I'd get paid. <laughs> I could bank on it. And if I was working for somebody locally, 35 to 45 days, I'd get paid. And I could bank on it. And you sort of manage your cash flow knowing that under these circumstances, it'll be around there. And under these circumstances, it's going to be there. And that's and still pretty true that's today. That's still yes? pretty true okay. today. And that's, um, that's a hard thing for a lot of people to understand that three months from now, I'll be get, able to pay yeah, my rent. Yeah. But, but I still have to pay my rent. Well, so it, every you, you end up developing a, an overlapping billing thing so that you, you have things coming in and, and you have work going out and things coming in. And so, in theory, the overlap of the income it comes from the jobs that you did three months ago. And if you're starting out, then you kind of have to have an alternative income stream to <clears throat> subsidize you until you get to the point where you literally have to choose between going to work at Starbucks or having your freelance career, and then you step away, and which is one of the most terrifying moments in your career because suddenly you have said to your safety net, I'm sorry, wow. I am too busy. And you hope that you stay, stay busy. busy, you know. <laughs> and, 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 and the, the smart illustrators are the ones that you know, take that, that 10% out of every dollar they make and put it in the sock someplace so that when the inevitable slowdown happens, you aren't terrified quite so quickly, but you have the time to prudently market yourself to other places and, 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 and get people to come hire you from other directions as well. So it's it, it's a challenge. And, you know, the, the nowadays, um, I mean, I'm from the generation of illustrators where it was freelance or Disney, and, and freelance was the only option open to me. Um, and I graduated in 1976, which means I'm almost as old as Methuselah, but not quite. And Methuselah is still freelancing, folks. I just want to let you know, I ran into him the other day. That's right. And, and he can get it out tomorrow. He so, can get it out tomorrow. Uh, It'll be like the wind, kids. Yeah, indeed. Um, but uh, nowadays, if, if there's a whole different economic stream of short-term contract employment where instead of buying a piece and buying the rights to that piece and having it delivered on Wednesday of next week or tomorrow, um, nowadays, there are a lot of clients that hire you by the hour in-house or, well, after AB5, not in-house. Um, they hire you to do a set period of time on projects, and it's more of a West Coast thing versus East Coast thing. Okay, because that, that's, that's I'm familiar with where you're yeah. just short-term contract, right. come in, do yep. your thing, get yep. out. Yeah, and uh, if you're working for the Market Street uh, tech companies, um, they're not so much interested in the copyright negotiation, sign, you know, give me this piece next week, as much as they are having you um, come in, be part of the team, and do this set number of hours worth of work, or do the project and bill for the hours it took you to get there. 
And that's a different MO. I mean, that you're then you're worrying about your billable rate and what that is. And, um, and some illustrators even work as part of a subset of, a, of like a contracting firm that goes in and says, well, you know, I've got six people and here are the other five and this illustrator and we're going to come in and you're going to hire us to do this project. And all the billing goes through the subcontractor out to you. And you may be working in a, a Market Street company's building, but you're actually getting paid by and working Creatively, you're working for that company, be it a Google or a Yahoo or Airbnb, but so, you're beholden to the subcontractor that's that, innocuous name, right? You know, LTD yeah. that's paying you. Yeah, yeah. and that and that's 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 one of the interesting bifurcations of the the freelance market that has happened as a result of the tech boom out here in California. Um, that they see the economic exchange differently than um, people who would do an interactive piece for the New York Times or the Atlantic or something for um, a game uh, or um, fantasy art for a box cover or that kind of stuff. There's, there's just different paths to uh, similar careers. Because there doesn't seem to be any shortage of work out there. It seems it, To me, it seems more like you were, you were talking about, and I want to, uh, we'll talk about it a little bit uh, in a minute, but, you know, would, you know, a lot of people, when you hear illustration, you think, Norman Rockwell, you mm. think um, a, t a style that is not very common, but then illustration is all we see at this point. I mean, everything from an app, if, if it's not a photograph, it's an illustration, which, yes. is, which is such a strange thing because, you, you know, we always have these preconceived, a lot of people have, myself included, this kind of preconceived notion, well, a fine artist looks like a, an illustrator looks like B, there's all this work here that somebody's getting paid for that I don't understand, and there's mm. photographs. And mm -hmm. then all that work that I don't understand that somebody's getting paid for is still illustration and, and artistry. It's artistry. If, the, if you don't understand it, the illustrator or the client isn't, isn't the, the illustrator isn't doing a good enough job okay. to make it understandable, and the client is... Um, Probably not happy. <laughs> um, I mean, look, illustration is art that communicates in pictures. It, it communicates ideas. It communicates time and place. It communicates stories. Uh, it explains how the Federal Reserve Bank works. It, it explains how the inside of an engine works on a Tesla. It so all, explains, these, all these fancy terms like infographics. Yeah, exactly. That's that is illustration. Um, it, uh, it shows a beautiful woman being held by a beautiful man for a movie poster or a book cover, and um, or you know a Buick. <laughs> and it is so you have narrative content. So you know, children's books, for example, um, they require continuity of characters. The people have to look the same on the last page as they do on the first. It requires a narrative arc that moves your eye through 32 pages worth of content that places and feelings and moods are specific to the text um, and push the story forward. It's like glorified storyboarding for a movie. You can do storyboarding where literally you are the camera person for commercials or television or uh, cinema. I mean, I... I Bought my first house on the back of doing storyboards for an ad agency here in San Francisco, and you literally—it's—it's it's so much cheaper. Uh, it was then, is today, to hire an artist to visualize the shot setup and what people are doing in it, 
than it is to put a bunch of people on a set and have the director say, you know, I think we really want to, and it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So if you can see spatial storytelling, you can see plot, you can be doing graphic novels and comics, you can be doing children's books, book covers, you can be doing advertising and corporate art. Um, there's just so many places to, the, we live in a very visually saturated world and as as you said, if it's not a photograph, it's probably an illustration. So there's 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 rent to be paid. There's, there's rent to, to be, be paid, okay. and and there's and there's very good rent to be paid if you're fast, busy, and exceptionally good at what you do. So let's take a quick break, and let me ask you this question: Are you looking for the right school to get in-demand skills in creative industries? You are invited to our upcoming interactive online open house, where you can learn about our over 40 art and design programs, admissions, financial aid, campus life, and more. Our admissions team will also be available via online chat throughout the event to answer whatever questions you may have. RSVP today at academyart.edu slash podcast. So I want to talk a little bit about... Um, Are we on again? We're, we're on now. Oh, oh, oh. So to, thank you. Okay. Good, now we can sync up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how would you explain Norman Rockwell to people? I mean, because he's just this ever-present... Mm. I'm on the National Advisory Council to the Norman Rockwell Museum. So I'm <laughs> fairly deeply immersed in Rockwell's career. Um, he was the foremost storyteller of the American experience in his day. He's the foremost storyteller of the American experience in his day. He captured the lives and the aspirations of the common person who was, was and is the backbone of the Republic for decades. And he had a deep and compassionate heart and he loved humanity and he loved seeing and capturing the foibles of young love and old love and aspiration and hope and uh, freedom from want, freedom from fear, freedom of religion and freedom of speech are you know, the four freedoms that Franklin Roosevelt espoused. Right now there's a show going all around the world literally with those paintings in it. Um, he was a, and he was also a deeply uh, driven and gifted draftsman and painter and very uh, motivated to always do better with every painting that he did than he did before. So he was a very restless spirit in that regard, um, which gave him a career from the early teens all the way out into uh, the late 70s. Yeah, yeah, because there, there's just something that, I mean, every time I see stuff of his, it's kind of like as you get older, especially mm -hmm. like... Oh man, I get that a lot more. I get yep. that. Big, oh man, that resonates. I am going to yep. tear up. I see why people tear up on some mm -hmm. on on work now, and you're like, oh man, this this is. I mean, his work just seems so. I mean, iconic is 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 um, is not good enough. No, but it, it's it, too simple. It's such you know for for somebody coming to the U.S. Um, how important is his style? And his is it is it his style or is it what you just said? Is it him as a a father figure to all of us modern illustrators? Mm -hmm. I mean, how would somebody who's not from America basically to understand and wrap their head around uh, someone like Norman Rockwell? Um, you have to go back to the 17th century Dutch 
um, genre painters, and and go all the way forward through European art history of and it, where it it is storytelling in pictures. And Rockwell was an exceptional master of that and a really compassionate observer of the human condition. And he was fortunate to have a platform that allowed him to explore it with limitations, of course, um, that gave him a, a, a an audience comparable to being on all three networks of television simultaneously when the, when the magazine came out, when the Post came out. So many million Americans saw it almost at the same time. Um, that market is not there in that way anymore. And if you are coming from a different um, aesthetic fount, fountain, um, if you come from uh, Korea or China or Japan and the aesthetic that, that you have drunk deeply from growing up is not an, a Western painterly aesthetic, you have to find who you are inside that milieu if you want to go back. If the objective is to tell those stories about your people and their lives when you go home, then you go someplace that will give you the tools to get access to, the, to it. You don't have to be a painter like Rockwell. You have to be an empath. You have to be able to care. And you have to really be able to look at the human heart and the human experience and distill it down into really meaningful pictures and there's there's a reason why um, guys like uh, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg collect Norman Rockwell paintings because they are in the American cinema genre some of the foremost storytellers of our time and they appreciate what Rockwell did and if you look at his work over the arc of his career when he was in his 20s he was technically good but he was also 20s in his 20s and his stories reflected someone who had had the life experience of someone in their 20s and I think Bobby the reason you were talking about your response to these things as you've gotten older you can only paint and draw what you know and you can conjecture as being what's possible and as you mature and you have more life experience your perspective on all these things change because you now have life experience as did he so the storytelling matures and I, I think that's that if for illustrators and, and storytelling artists, that arc is um, lifelong. And as long as you have the ability to put your brush or your stylus to a, on a Cintiq, that, can, that part continues to mature because you now have the ability to, you, you have the experience of being able to look back at something and say, ah, I remember that. Or uh, I'm experiencing that now, which when I was 25, I could not have known whatsoever in any way, shape, or form. And the depth of that storytelling, it's not style dependent. It's empathy and observation dependent. And then the platform you put it on, that's yours to find and own. And, I, and, and to Rockwell's credit, he found it, he owned it, and he continued to hone it as he built his career for so many decades. Yeah, there, there's some, I mean, even now, it, it, the stuff is, is, is equally dated as it is otherworldly. When mm -hmm. I look at it now as I'm 42 and, you know, I, I was lucky enough, my mom was a teacher, so I was looking at this stuff early mm -hmm. on. I'm like, yeah, this is great. I recognize that Rockwell is great. Yep. There's no argument on that. Mm -hmm. And then as you get older, and like you're saying, you're, you're looking at this stuff going, oh, man, this is, this is, 
brutal and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, it, it's just, is that, would you say that he is the artist to follow or the artist as far as, you know, there's something there that everybody can pull from? I think there's something there that everybody can pull from. I also think that there are illustrators who, quite frankly, uh, Rockwell would, other than the technical facility, um, have very little emotional connection with, and that's taste. You know that that is that is why when you know the, when I walk into a class, the, one of the first things I talk about is that the your value as an artist is what how you individually see the world. We all look up, and there's a blue sky, but every one of you sees that blue a little differently. Okay. And Rockwell saw it differently than Liondecker. He saw it differently from Wyeth. He saw it different from Howard Pyle, uh, who's no relation to the best of my knowledge. Um, and and it, that gave them their, their place to stand. And part of it for illustrators is finding those places where you can stand to tell stories the most powerfully that you can. And... It's a long. It, it's a very long time search for a lot of artists because you wear a lot of different hats when you're young, and you throw a number of them away. But it's getting at the who am I and how do I empathize with the world? And Rockwell had a, a way of doing things that have has stood the test of time as a storyteller mm -hmm. that many of his peers are didn't. Okay. And uh, and you can look at them now, and I'm part of a group that does look at old illustrators pretty regularly and you go oh that's really great but it is it isn't the same yeah. and and it's a good thing you know i mean they they had very good careers doing what they did and um it was just a different path for them yeah, it's, it's interesting i i know as you know i i work primarily in video and mm -hmm. and then every time you know an instagram post or something comes up where you see the photographs that he directed mm -hmm. Than the painting, and that was not uncommon. Other everybody many artists, did it. everybody did it, still do. And um, but you, you look at that, and you look at the the finished work, and you're just like, oh man, mm -hmm. I'm never going to be that good. Um, you may never be that good, but you have to live into the idea that if you work hard enough and long enough, you might be. And uh, he was a, a supremely driven artist, and worked seven days a week. And every so often would announce to the wife and kids, hey, we're going out on a vacation. Um, went through a number of wives as a mm -hmm. consequence, yeah. as most, you know, as a lot of us do. But he, he, art is, it's a muse and it's a mistress. And even in relationships, if you're a creative, you're there with your life partner, but you're also there in the same room with that muse that's tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, hey. Hey, come pay attention to me. And and any Everybody stop. I got a great idea. Yep. Pretty much. Don't talk. I, Don't talk. I got to figure it out. Hold on. I carry a notebook for just exactly those moments. Um so you you have to listen to the muse and you have to have a life partner that says good. Listen. Now's the time. Go do it. And I love you, but you know, I'll throw food in and and, and you get it done. And and uh because that we are not normal people, <laughs> and and you know and you and, seem so deflated when you um, say that. No, no, no actually, I, I, it's I. It, we are actually gifted, and we are called, and it's both a gift and it's a mandate. 
pay attention to this muse. It will eat you alive if you don't, and it will put food on your table if you do, and you may change the world by how you draw and paint things in whatever medium you do it, one picture at a time. And it could be something as uh, tattoos, it could be comic books, it could be editorial illustration, children's books, apps, illustration that moves. I mean, there's just so many different ways of doing it today. Um, but you have to feed the muse. That's a that's a scary thought because that's that that's the the procrastination is such a uh, mm -hmm. goes goes hand in hand with that muse sometimes where you're just like yeah I can do that tomorrow or I'm still yeah. I'm still doing research right now as I'm watching TV yeah it's research it's research yeah. well it is and and every illustrator f uh, has those uh, distractions and it's just how do you develop the tools to work around them to get to a deadline because you know on Friday that's got to be someplace and you everybody honks around for a little bit at the beginning of things <laughs> while they're just sorting it out but uh, you pretty quickly get into I need these many hours here these here these here and shut off the phone and turn the computer off because I've got to get this part of it done with en without any distractions or at least disconnect from the internet what are some industry trends we're seeing you, you talked a little bit about how it's gone from a little bit on the business side from a freelancer to contract work to in-house mm -hmm. contract work. Um, what are some trends you're seeing for an illustrator of today? Um, when I was back at the Illustrator 62 show, I was really impressed with the amount of mixed media work that was uh, in, on the wall, which is where part of it's digital, part of it's traditional, and the merger is bigger than uh, either part would be. Uh, I was impressed by the, the uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, the design-driven drawing styles of a number of illustrators, um, which are not so reference-dependent, but are beautifully designed evocations of figure, object, and, and, and uh, spatial relationship. Um, the mixed media stuff, I mean, that, I've seen that a lot too. That seems so, like... It came out of nowhere. It seemed mm -hmm. like maybe I'm. I'm. I'm, mm -mm. I'm. It just. It was like there was mixed media. You know, when I first think of mixed media, and when I was in school, it was you're getting a bunch of stuff from magazine clippings and gesso and and everything right. you can sweep up off the floor and yep. slapping it on a board and calling it mixed media and mm -hmm. hoping someone believes <clears throat> it. Well, and now mixed media is. Well, it's it. Um, certain parts of the job you do on your drawing board or an easel. And then you port those over into Photoshop um, and you do things to them in Photoshop. And the merger of what you do digitally with what you did physically makes the art be more distinctive and individual than it would be had you done it either way in, on, only on one platform. It's also faster. Um, it allows you to, to create visual looks that would not be possible with just a paintbrush. <clears throat> without the, you know, unless you have days and days and days and days to do th something, and maybe not even then. Um, and the design drawing part, that's, uh, it, it's it's a style of drawing things that is more designed and less dependent on, on replicating and idealizing something that you have in photo reference or from a model in your studio. And uh, the, the two trends run side by side. Um, I, in this room, saw... Uh, beautiful oil paintings and gouache paintings that leapt off the wall and were very realistic next to ones that 
were as loose and sketchy as you could possibly imagine. And it's the artist's voice telling them that this is the way they have to go about taking their career. Um, and there are, um, I don't think the contract thing on the West Coast is going away. I think it's continuing to um, spread. I think the fantasy illustration world is taking off. I think if you can paint creatures with wings and ray guns and make them look believable, um, everything everything that I see tells me that that world is just growing like crazy. Um, Every game needs assets designed at the beginning of it. Every game needs boxes. Every game needs playing cards. Every game needs collectible <laughs> fan things. And in conventions, right. if you're good at that, you can have a line of people out the door going, I want to buy that from you. And they do. If you can do sculpture uh, of those sorts of things, you can have a, a great career doing that. It, it uh, There is just, we are so visually saturated and everybody is competing to get you, the consumer, to look at what they want you to see. That if you can, you, you will find a market for the way you see the world if you're diligent about it. And, um, and, and if you can make illustrations move, that particularly now is a really smart, smart thing. Um, something as simple as GIFs where you're getting six frames to indicate some motion, not because you're trying to make a Disney cartoon, but because you're trying to, on somebody's smartphone, make somebody hang there just long enough right to be... it, it, those in the ux in the ui world those that small motion graphic mm -hmm. not, it's almost not even motion it's like yep. two frames yeah and yep. the, that persistence of memory lapse is so yep. big it seems like now yeah and it's it's eyes on page time you know your client wants somebody wants the consumer to to pay attention to what's on that page longer than they would anywhere else so that you don't keep scrolling and so if you can add a little motion to it then they, they stick around longer. And as software becomes more sophisticated and cheaper and the phones and tablets and everything else become better processors, the ability to do that becomes more easy and it becomes the norm. And so particularly if a you're career. Gonna, and a career. And a career. I mean, yeah. if you're here on this coast and you don't know how to do that, you're going to be looking elsewhere for your work. We're kind of at the leading edge of that relationship with the Googles and the Airbnbs and the Yahoos and the game companies up and down the peninsula. I have more alums in those worlds than you get. I, I, it's hard to count um, because you can draw and you can bring things to life. Um, and, and at the same time, um, well, we, we emphasize drawing a lot from the model, a lot from the costume model, a lot. Whether you do it with a Conte crayon or on an iPad, we don't care. But you need to know how to draw well enough to be able to draw people's places and things and put them all together in a convincing way and then adapt them to the style that you want to uh, do as an illustrator. And so that marriage of deep immersion in uh, digital painting and illustrating and being able to make it move um, and prepare for a career on the West Coast is really important, and we deeply stress it. Being able to do the business side of uh, the commercial art world is super important. Even if you're a fine art painter, if you don't know how to market yourself, you are dependent on the kindness of strangers to, to, <laughs> to discover you. And, right. you know, that's, that's, that's a really bad business plan. So as illustrators or art directors or graphic designers, you need filmmakers, you know, fashion um, designers. You need to have a sense of how business works in your world. 
And we really, truly stress that from day one by habit, by business practices, by marketing plans, all that stuff. By the time you're, you are out of here and ready to go to work, um, you have a really good sense of how to navigate in the world you're going into so that you have the, the chops uh, and the wits about you to not be overly exploited by the marketplace or is simply ignored. And because if you don't show, then you don't get seen. And, and so, and we work very hard at that. Um, we teach people enough traditional skills. We teach deeply the idea of storytelling and ideation skills. So that you're bringing ideas to life and exploring them very deeply, um, which is so incredibly important in a, in a world where you may have literally the blink of an eye to grab a viewer's attention and hold them there long enough to make a decision as an illustrator. Our job is to reach out from that phone and grab that viewer by the eyeballs and say, wait, this is important. And to be able to make that happen in a compelling way, we teach that skill at a really deep level. And you can price it when you go out the door and you know how to deal with sales tax and income tax and marketing not and starve. not going to the idea is I, I want my graduates to turn around in line at Starbucks or Blue Bottle and say, hey, Chuck, let me tell you what I'm doing. And by the way, I want to buy you the most expensive coffee drink in the joint. Now, I, I can listen to Chuck for hours and, and we spoke for at least another hour. But fortunately, we cut it because it was just me babbling and being a fanboy of some of his work. But if you want a real treat, if you're a film noir fan or a mystery novel fan, go check out uh, the imprint Hard Case Crime, uh, a bunch of covers Chuck did. So those are really cool to see. In fact, I am upset that I had a couple at home that I didn't have them autographed for me. But the next time I see him, I'm going to bust into his office and have him sign them for me once we are out of this silliness. But if any of this resonated with you, if you are interested in a career in art, design, illustration, then please reach out to the Academy and get some more information because as more and more art and design career opportunities are on the rise, even in this time, employers are always on the hunt for the next generation of talented and skilled creative professionals. And at Academy of Art University, they teach the work-ready skills that employers want. You can still study on site in downtown San Francisco and as always, anywhere in the world with online programs. To request info about our 40-plus areas of study in art and design, including game development, fashion design, photography, illustration, UX design, and more, visit our website at academyart.edu slash creativemind. And please, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.